and prepare our minds and our hearts for what we're about to study. And Father, we, we thank you so much for this day, for our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for allowing him to be the Passover lamb and the unleavened bread and the, the first fruit of those risen. And Father, as we study today, may we realize our part in what comes next. May your spirit make these things real to us, Father. We pray that we are praising and glorifying and worshiping you as you desire. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you want to turn to Leviticus 23, we're going to begin there again. And um, as you do, I'll tell you a little something I heard this week. And there's these three brothers. And the three brothers were always trying to compete with each other. Always competing. It didn't matter if it was checkers. It didn't matter if it was who could run the fastest, who scored the most points in the game. They always competed. Well, they went so far as to even compete when it was mom's birthday what they're going to get her. So they all got together and had sent the gifts and uh, they were standing together and the first brother said, yep, I got mom a house this year. Everybody kind of looked at him and the second one said, oh yeah, well, I, I got her a car. Third brother said, well, I know how much she loves the Bible, so I got her this trained parrot, only one of its kind, it can quote the entire Bible so that she can just sit back and listen to it, recite the Word of God to her. So they all wondered again who was going to have the, the best gift because they like to compete. So they all got their note the next week, and Mom had replied, and she said to the first brother, said, thank you for the, the thoughts, thank you for thinking about me and, and giving me the house, but, you know, it's a little bit too big for me. And brother number two, she said, thank you for the car. Thank you for that idea. It's kind of small, though. It scares me getting out in traffic that I might get hurt. And then to brother number three, she said, Melvin, your gift was the best. I fried that chicken up, and it was the best fried chicken I ever had. (laughs) I don't think that's what he had in mind, but uh, that's how it came out. (laughs) So anyway, Leviticus chapter 23 if you're there with me. Feast of the Lord. We saw last week that they're divided in half. That in the springtime, in the first month, you had Passover, you had unleavened bread, and you had the first fruits. And then 50 days after the start of that, after the first fruit, you had Pentecost. And that was the day that the church age started in Acts chapter uh, 2. And then you've got summer. You've got the summertime. There's a gap. And then you get into the fall, and you get the fall feasts, the trumpets, the atonement, the day of atonement, and then the tabernacle. And so right now, we're in that summertime because we saw last week that Jesus fulfilled those first ones. And we are now in that gap time process in between. But let's uh, review quickly for those who weren't here a little bit. As we go into uh, Leviticus chapter 23, and we see there in verse 1 that it was the Lord who is speaking, and he's making a holy decree to the people, and he said these things. The feast of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. And so the first thing we did was saw that it was the Lord who was talking, 
And he said, these are my feasts. And he says, I want you to tell everybody about it. Proclaim it. Let them know about these feasts. And he says, and they are my feasts. They are for me. We saw that a holy convocation meant an appointed time. That these are appointed times and they are on God's calendar. He's going to show up for these things. And he's hoping that we will show up for some things too. Um, Then we found out that the word for feast didn't really mean like stuffing ourselves at the buffet. It really meant that this is a dress rehearsal. That these are things that you drill upon. Like when I was in the military, we would march and we would march and we would march. Uh, today, we, we talked last week about a dress rehearsal before the wedding. We had the night before a dress rehearsal. You might have at your... Or something like that. You have emergency weather on that week and they will say we're going to do some tornado drills or we're going to do some emergency drills and they they show you what to do why they're rehearsals so that when the real thing comes you're prepared you expected you see what it looks like and there's not chaos you you do it in an orderly fashion and you've prepared now for something that's going to be a public event and that's what the word feast actually means It means preparing and drilling for for what the real thing that is going to come. And in verse 4, the Lord emphasizes again that these are my feasts and convocations that I expect people to participate in. Verse 5, he begins to list those things and he says, Upon the first month, on the 14th day of the month, that you will do the Passover. And then the next day, he says, the 15th day of that first month, will be the unleavened bread. And then verses 10 through 14 talk about the first fruits. And it says that on the first day of the week, the day after the Sabbath of those other two first feasts, that will be the, the day of first fruits. And that, these were dress rehearsals that they did every year on these days on God's calendars as a dress rehearsal for what? For the time that Christ would come. And when he came, he told them, Man, you've been searching the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but you've missed the boat because you didn't see me in the scriptures. You didn't see that I was there and prepared for this. And it was on Passover day that he was crucified. You remember what they did at evening? They got up into the upper room and they partook of the feast. And that night the guards came and got him, took him. He went through the trials and he was placed upon the cross and he he died upon Passover day. Why? Because just as when he entered in on his ministry, John the Baptist at the River Jordan said, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He was the Lamb of God. You've been practicing this thing. But he's the reality, we saw the scripture said last week. And then he was buried in that tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. And we saw that son leavened bread. The sin of the world had been placed on him and it was taken and hidden. Now, so that we might become sinless. He became forgiven, his blood was shed, and we can become with him that part of the feast of the unleavened bread, of taking the sin out of the world. They had to take leaven out of their house 
before that happened so that none was there. Christ took away the sin. But then on the first day of the week, Mary went to the tomb and he was arisen. First day of the week after these feasts was when first fruits was. And Jesus was our first fruit. It says this. It's always the best. You remember when they were going into the land. When Moses had this, God said, I've already got everything prepared for you there. You're going to harvest what you didn't sow. I've got the vineyards planted. I've got the trees planted. Everything is ready. When you go there and run them out, you are going to have... That's grace. And grace says that when you get there, you offer up your first fruit. You offer up the best to me. And I will assure you that the rest of the harvest will come and it will keep you until the next year. Jesus is the first fruit of God. What's it say there in 1 Corinthians 15 in verses 20 and 23? It tells us that He is our first fruits. That Jesus Christ was the first fruits of those who are asleep. He was the reality of those practices that they had, the drills year after year. He was the lamb, he was the unleavened bread, and he was the first fruits. And you know what that means for us? You go to James chapter 1, verse 18. It says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth to be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we are going to follow. We are the harvest that's followed. God accepted the offering of Jesus as the first fruits and as the forgiveness of sin. And all who believe upon him are partaking as that kind of first fruit. And will, at the harvest of the last day, it will be the spiritual harvest of souls that all of these physical harvests had represented all of these years and have been the practice. And that's marvelous news for us, isn't it? We have been told that he is going to come back and to get us. Now, Jesus stated himself, we saw last week, that he fulfills all of these things. They will be fulfilled and not one jot or tittle will pass until all these things be fulfilled. And we saw that that means heaven and earth is the last thing as he promised. And so everything is still in play uh, that has not already been fulfilled. The first ones were, the last ones haven't. So that second return of Christ, which is going to be like the Feast of Trumpets, is still to take place. So let's take a close look at this one. That's going to be our text. So if you're still there in Leviticus 23 with me, look down to verse 23. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and tell them this, In the seventh month, the first day of the month, you shall have a Sabbath rest. It is to be a memorial of the blowing of trumpets. It is a holy convocation. And you won't do any work on that day customary work you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord so you remember up at the top in verses 4 and 5 and and 10 and through 14 it said these things are the first month 14th and 15th day this is the seventh month 
So there's a time period between the spring feasts and between the fall feasts. And that's where the church age represents. This is the time when we are waiting for the trumpet call. And we are telling every creature the good news about Jesus Christ. And teaching them the gospel. Question is, what's that going to look like for us? They were to do this feast in the seventh month, which actually the Feast of Trumpets was last month, September 10th, was, would have been on their calendar, the Feast of Trumpets. So what's that look like? Well, Paul told us that the return of Jesus is the reality, the spiritual reality of those physical things that were. And he urged the Thessalonians to be ready for that time. And be prepared. Look at 1 Thessalonians up there. 4. 14 through 18. Says this. He wrote them this. And he said. For if we believe that Jesus died. And that he rose again. Now think about that. What is that? Isn't that the representation of those first feasts and and the gospel? If we believe that Jesus died. Passover lamb. We believe that he was buried and that he rose again, the first fruit unto God, then even so, the promise to us is, he will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. And that's the picture of the rest of the harvest after the acceptance of the first fruit. Now, look at verse 15. For this we say to you by the word of who? Yeah, this this ain't my word. This ain't Paul's word. This is the word of the Lord. That we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. And this is going to be the picture of Jesus coming back to receive his bride on that trumpet sound. The big question is, when Lord and what? What are we looking for? Verse 16. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout... With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And so what he's saying is, is this is what you're waiting for. And this is what I want you to be reminded of because back in Leviticus it says this is a memorial of the day of the blowing of trumpets. What? So that you remember each year for them that he's coming. And it's a good thing for us to do, isn't it? To always be ready and be prepared. That's the idea that's behind us because if he fulfilled the first ones, God's message is I'm going to fulfill the rest of them. I'm going to come again on that day when the trumpet sounds. Then he goes on in Corinthians. He told the Corinthians something like this. Chapter 15, verses 51 and 52, he said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. All of us. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. When? At the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Amen. That's what this whole 
feast thing was about was preparation. This is coming. This is a promise and it's going to happen. There is going to be a time when the trumpet sounds and we all rise. And the question is, are you ready for it? Because Paul said, we said a minute ago, he said, these are not my words. They're whose? The Lord's. You want to see where the Lord talked about it? I'm glad you said that. Go with me to Matthew 24 if you want to. Matthew 24 and 25 is something that's called the Olivet Discourse. Jesus started his ministry, and in Matthew 5, he had the Sermon on the Mount. Now he's on the Mount of Olives doing the Olivet Discourse before he's getting ready to end his ministry. It's his last big sermon to him. And he's talking to him. And what has just happened in chapter 23? Scribes and the Pharisees got into it with him. And so they had a verbal altercation and he started giving them the seven woes there. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, for you. And he started giving them these woes. And it was a heated exchange. And as they're walking out, you know, his disciples, they saw that Jesus was upset. They saw that the scribes and Pharisees was upset and they're plotting to get rid of him. And they're wondering if it's me too. And what do they do? They try to distract him. They change the subject. Like, how about them bears? You remember what I mean? How about them bears? Whenever something gets a little heated, you're uncomfortable with what's going on, you change the subject. So they come to him in chapter 24 and they open it up and they said, Hey, Lord, look, hey, look up here at the temple. Look at this big thing. Isn't it beautiful? Isn't it great? And Jesus looks at him and said, Let me tell you something. You see these stones? You see this temple? I'm telling you that the time is coming that not one stone is going to be left upon another. They're going to be taken down and this place is going to be a shambles and going to be wrecked. And they ask him and they say three questions. They can't believe what he's saying and they give him three questions and they say this beginning in in, uh, verse 3. He sat there and they came privately to him and said, Tell us, question 1. When will these things be? Question two. What will be the sign of your coming? Question three. And of the end of the age. And so Jesus goes now into his discourse on the end times scenario. He's given us what's going to happen. And he's going to talk about it through here. And then he's going to give in chapter 25, which is a continuation. He didn't sit on the Mount of Olives and go, okay, That's the end of chapter 24. Let's take a break and we're going to go to chapter 25. No, it was a continuation. He was telling them over and over what's going to happen through here and to watch and be ready. And he says this in verse 30 and 31 of chapter 24. The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels. How? With the great sound of the trumpet. And they will gather together his elect, that's us, from the four winds of the heaven, from one end to the other. So what, what did Paul say? These are the words of the Lord. What did the Lord just say? When you hear that great sound of the trumpet, I'm sending my angels for the harvest. They're getting ready to come and gather my elect to the celebration of the feast of the wedding. I'm coming back to get my bride. And it's going to be at the last trumpet. 
You might practice it year after year to get yourself ready. And he tells them here, be ready. He goes on down there in verse uh, 42. He says, watch, therefore. You don't know. Be prepared. Keep watch. Verse 44, be ready. Be prepared, for you don't know the day and the hour that the Son of Man is going to come. And then to give them an illustration of what he's talking about, It's his bride that he's coming back. And he goes on now in chapter 25. He just continues on with, says, let me give you an example. I'll give you a parable to explain what I'm talking about when I come with that last trumpet. And he says this, the parable of the ten virgins. And he says, the kingdom of heaven. So what are we talking about? Us going to heaven, right? The kingdom of heaven. What's it going to be like? Well, Jesus says that it's likened unto ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. They're getting ready for the wedding. Five of them were wise and five of them were foolish. The foolish took their lamps, but they took no oil with them. But the wise, they took oil in their vessels. I think three weeks ago we talked about vessels, didn't we? And we talked about how there was holy vessels consecrated to God in the tabernacle and the temple. But then we saw in the New Testament that it said we are the vessels of God, right? So he says, the foolish are those who took no oil in their vessels, but the wise, verse 4, took oil in their vessels. They had it within them. And they brought their lamps. While the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. But at midnight, (laughs) a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. And all the virgins arose and they trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil because our lamps are going out. And the wise answered saying, No, no, lest there should not be enough for us and you. But go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went out to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready, now here's our theme. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. Wow, I can't believe what I read in the next two verses. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. Watch, therefore. For you don't know the day or the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So Jesus likens his return to the time when the trumpet is going to sound. And I'll show you that in a minute. But he likens it to that and to a wedding feast and the bridegroom coming to take his bride. And unless we know what the ancient ceremony was... The tradition that they did, we don't really understand fully what this parable is because he was teaching it to people who knew it. We've gotten far away from it. So let me give you the Cliff Notes version or we'll be here till two. So here's the Cliff Notes version of it, okay? Here's what it has. When a man has found a woman that he wants to marry, he would go to his father and he says, Father... I have found my betrothed and I would like to have your permission to go and to ask her to marry me. And if the father grants permission, he says, I need you to drink from my cup, if you would. 
And he pours a cup of wine to consecrate what's going to get ready to happen. And the son takes of that wine. And then he goes and takes the skin and the cup with him to his bride-to-be. And she has no idea yet. And he goes to her. And he will get down on one knee or two. And he will say to her, I love you. And I give you my life. I give my life to you. And he would pour the cup, which represents the fruit of the vine, the blood of life, because life is in the blood. And he drinks of it as an emblem that I am giving my life to you and offering that to you. And then he offers the cup to her. She has a choice at this time to either take the cup and accept the offer or to reject the offer and not want to be the bride of the young man. If she takes of the cup and drinks it, then ceremonially she is also saying to him, I give you my life as well. I accept the offer of your life for me and I give then in exchange my life to you. And then there would usually be a ceremonial washing in the mikvah to cleanse them and to sanctify them together as a part of this readiness to be faithful until he comes again to get his bride. And then what happens next is the groom goes back to his father's house because she has now accepted since she drank of the cup with him and he has to prepare a place for them to live. And so he begins to build a room on to the father's house so that they will have a place to live when he goes to take his bride. And so it usually takes about a year so they don't know the day or the hour, but they know it's going to be about the next year. So she begins making her preparations. She is readying herself. She is getting the lamps and the oil and the procession and the bridesmaids ready. She is preparing and being faithful to her groom, waiting on his return. The reason no one knows the day or the hour is because the father who gave permission for them to get married, they're building the house, the room onto the house, he has to say that it's built. And that it's ready to be occupied because it's his house. And he says, okay, you have finished it. Go and get your bride. And so then, no one knows until he tells them that. And he grabs his groomsmen and they go. And no one knows what's happening until they get outside of the bride's house. And the best man blows the shofar, the trumpet. And everybody's head comes up and they hear, It's an alarm, it's a warning, what's going on? The groom is coming to get his bride. And that's when the bridesmaids are all scrambling around and they're all getting ready and making ready to go to the feast, to the wedding, and to be a part of it. Now, that's what happens in the... In the customary wedding now let me give you the scriptures on it that shows that this is what jesus is talking about listen real carefully here see if this sounds like now it makes sense to us matthew 20 
verses 22 and 23. Jesus answered and said, you do not know what you ask. They asked to be sitting on his right hand and left. They're, they're battling about who's the greatest. He says, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink of the cup that I'm about to drink of and be baptized with the baptism that I'm about to be baptized with? <laughs> they all said, yeah, we're able. He said, oh, okay. You will indeed have to drink of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. But to sit on my right hand or left, that's not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it is prepared by my Father. So, there's a cup involved, wasn't there? That he's going to have to drink. Now, look with me at Luke twenty-two forty-two. Father, if it is your will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Because you see, a normal groom just had to partake of the cup of wine, the fruit of the vine in front of the Father. His cup is his death for his bride. So, it says this in John eighteen eleven. Right after the, this statement, they went to the garden and the troops came to get Jesus And he tells Peter this when he starts slicing off ears and going wild. He said, Peter, put away your sword. Put it back in the sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me to drink? So what is the cup? It's his crucifixion. It's his death for our sins. The blood that's going to be shed. He says this. That's the dowry that's paid for the price of the bride. Mark 14, 23. So he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them. There he's offering it to us. He gave it to them and said, This is the blood of my new covenant with you, which is shed for many, all of us. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God's going to be, he said, is likened to these, this wedding feast. Remember, in Matthew 25. I'll drink it again with you new in the kingdom of God. So when they accepted the invitation of Jesus and partook of the cup on that evening with him before he was crucified, is the same as when he says, I am giving my life for yours. Are you with me? So when we accept that cup, we are saying, I accept your life for mine, but now I give my life back in exchange to you, to be faithful to you. And when that hit me this week, it floored me again. And so I pray that as we begin to understand and see the picture that's going on, how serious this is are we ready but i hope that you will never again think of the lord's supper that we're going to take here in a moment that it's trivial that it's trite that it's just a ritual that i have to do each week because it is the representation of the groom saying i give my life for you are you going to accept that and give your life back in exchange for me And the promise was this, I'll drink it again with you, new in the kingdom. So what's that look like? Oh, another thing, about got ahead of myself. Next slide, Tanya, is 
John 14. Because he did go to that cross and he did accept that dowry payment for us. Now where is he at? John 14, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house, there are many mansions. And it really means rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. And I am going now, since we've just, you've accepted and my offer. I am going now to prepare a place for you. So that where I am, there you may be also. And know that I will come back to get you. He's preparing him for that return. Now, Revelation 19 gives us a glimpse of what that will look like in the future. Because it says in verse 7 and 9, when he's went to the father's house and he's made ready for the return of the bride and the father says, it's time to go and go get your bride. And he's going to come with that shout and with the archangel and the trump of God and we're going to rise and we're going to be changed in a moment. And then it says, let us be glad and rejoice when he's gathered us all together for that marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Are you ready? And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright. For the fine linen is the righteousness in the acts of the saints. And he said, right, blessed are those who are called to the feast and the marriage supper of the Lamb. And then he says this, these are true sayings of God. So this is the true sayings of God, folks. And this whole feast thing is centered around Jesus Christ and what's going to happen. It's like a parable. It's a dress rehearsal of what is going to take place. And the next thing on God's calendar is the trumpet call for the groom. The rooms are ready. Go get your bride so that you can be together forever. So now, let's settle these ten virgins here. Back to Matthew 25, it says, that five are wise and five are foolish. But as it described them, there wasn't no outward difference. You couldn't say that one thing separated the other one. They were all asleep. They were all bridesmaids. They were all virgins. So it tells me that these is like those who say, I'm in Christ. They're all gathered together and they're supposed to be there to be ready for the wedding feast. But he said... That five are ready, but five are not. They didn't put oil in their vessels. Your life, you didn't give it back like you promised to me. You weren't ready. You had no oil. Oil always represented blessing and the Holy Spirit and a relationship with the Father. And he says, you didn't have a relationship with me. You didn't really want to be a part of me. You professed it. That you did. You would tell folks that you did. But your life. Wasn't filled. With the oil. And I can see it. But nobody else can. Because they all look the same. But he knows our hearts. And he knew what separated. Us from that. And he says this. Again Matthew 25. 10 through 13. When the bridegroom came. Those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, to what we just read about there in Revelation. And the door shut. And afterwards, the other virgins, the other ones who had been professing and waiting, they came saying, Lord, Lord, open now to us. And he answered and said, Assuredly, 
I say to you, man, I don't know you. You never had a relationship with me. Watch, therefore, be ready, be prepared, for you don't know the day nor the hour when I'm coming back to get you. And as our worship team comes on back, that is my solemn prayer all the time for us. You know, as, as, as a pastor, as a teacher, you're basically like the, the trumpet of the yearly thing to remind them of these things. You're, you're God's trumpet to, like it or not, to get folks ready. I pray that I'm doing that with y'all. I pray that we're talking and building ourselves up all the time and the promises of God, but I pray that I'm also giving you the messages at the appointed times that we need to be ready. Our lives need to be ready. Our vessels need to be filled with oil. And one of the things that it showed there in that parable is that I can't do it for you and you can't do it for me. The five foolish asked of the wise, give me some of yours, your blessing. Give me some of that. I want it. Let, I want it now. He said, no, that's not the way it works. You have to do it on your own. I can't do it. Your family can't do it. No one can do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. So he says, watch. Be ready. You have said, I... I accept your exchange of life for mine. And I pray that we all do that. I pray that everyone here is going to have lamps trimmed and bright on that day when he comes and that we're going to go to that celebration feast and we're going to celebrate together as the family of God for eternity in heaven. That's my prayer. And I pray that you guys, and I pray that myself and my family, and then I pray that it goes to this community that we're all ready. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And in your calendar, you say that every once in a while comes this trumpets. That we just need to make ourselves ready and be reminded. It's a memorial. It's a reminder that Every once in a while, remind ourselves of what's going to happen and what's taking place and what's going to be the gravity of it all. Because the next feast day would be the Day of Atonement, which is Judgment Day. Judgment Day comes after Trumpet Day. And so, Father, pray that we're all ready. Pray that we are worshiping you in spirit and truth. We are doing your will. And we pray that we will take it to this community so that none would lost. Father, pray that you've been glorified today. Pray that these things stick with us. In Jesus' name, amen.